Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Servant's Heart Chapel. I hope uh, this particular episode is a special blessing to you. So let's get right to it. We are continuing through the book of Amos. It is so easy to go through life being completely blind to something that you uh, can be detrimental to you, something not quite right, something that could hurt you, something that could even kill you, not be aware of it whatsoever. When I was an airman, I was working with brand new airmen, working with a sergeant on aircraft and helicopter and we got to talking about uh, practical jokes, and <clears throat> the subject came up: practical jokes on new, new people, new airmen. I knew they were common. I knew from my experience working construction that the flight line was probably very similar. And there are probably common practical jokes. And he confirmed, yeah, there's there's common ones like sending someone to the to the tool room for 50 feet of flight line. Flight line is actually what's the concrete on the ground. It's not some special line. Uh, and I say, well, you're not going to be able to get me. That's just not going to happen. I work construction. I'm very familiar with. Uh, practical jokes. And so he took that as a personal challenge. He didn't say anything. And so we ran up our aircraft to do some maintenance checks. And then and then he and then he decided let's go while well, we need to go talk to somebody over here and went and talked to them and, and well, we need to go talk to somebody over here and went and talked to them. And I um I really wasn't sure what he was doing while we were going around talking to so many people. Well, what he did was he took my uh, goggles for eye protection and he rubbed them in the soot of the engine exhaust and hung them back up. So when I put them on for the engine run, put my headset on for the engine run and took them off, I had raccoon eyes, just completely black all around my eyes. And he walked me around the whole flight line like that. I was completely oblivious to that. Until someone said, man, you really need to wash your face. <clears throat> it's, it, it, we can be oblivious to things like that, practical jokes, oblivious, uh, oblivious to our own personality defects. I'm 17 years old. I, I, was, I had moved thousands of miles to a Bible college. Why? Because I love Jesus and I want to follow God. I was sold out to him. But I'd grown up in Phoenix. A lot of my friends were either gang members or stoners, and, and there's a certain attitude that comes along with that. A certain way about carrying yourself and interacting with people, kind of an unfriendly, short, kind of a mean-spirited type attitude. 
So I love Jesus, but I had a serious attitude problem, and I was completely blind to it until a buddy of mine walked up to me and said, Daryl, I love you, but you have an attitude problem. And I immediately want to get in his face and say, what are you talking about? The Holy Spirit said, hang on, he's telling the truth. Listen to him. And I paused for a second, and, and, and my, my eyes were opened, and I could see, oh, wow. I have some things that I need to work on. Didn't completely blind to it. We're so often so blind to anything around us, to just so obvious. We almost wear it. In fact, some do wear it. I had one young lady not too long ago. She she's she's trying to follow God, but she's wearing a shirt that advertises witchcraft. And her pants say. I want my MTV. And she has no idea what that witchcraft shirt really represents. She has no idea what the philosophies of MTV are, which I'm very aware of. I it was my generation that watched MTV start. And the and 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 all that came with it. Uh you know, video killed the radio star, right? The first, the first MTV music video. But there was a philosophy that came along with MTV, and it was far from Christ-loving. It was all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Rebellion against anything that's remotely religious, remotely Christian. And she's, and she's she's a Christian. She's wearing the stuff that's, you know, witchcraft. God said is an abomination. She's wearing the shirt and, the, and this MTV pants that are, that are you know, very anti-God. Has no clue, completely blind. But so many of us do that. We, whether it, it, it's wearing clothes, our attitudes, our actions, our behaviors, where we were completely blind to the real ramifications of them. And, and sometimes, sometimes our, our, our blindness can even mean our death. The, uh, even physical death. Um, just recently, the tragedy on base, the, uh, a young airman was out hunting with his buddies and fell off a cliff to his death. And how did that happen? Come to find out, he was on a, on a very uh, narrow precipice and uh, narrow ledge and he decided to back up and not look where he was going. And just assumed he was walking on solid ground. And then he, he was at first, and then he wasn't. And, and there was no time to react. No second chances at all. No mercy at all. He's just eight months younger than Cody, my son. He's gone, just like that. Because he went through life blindedly, very much like those people I talked about before, the, the travel on the interstate with the dense fog and just 
Oh, I, I can't see very far ahead. I don't care. I'm just going to drive at normal speed anyways. We put ourselves in situations where we blindly take a step and put our life at risk and even more so when we blindly take a spiritual step and put our souls at risk. That's what we're going to see today with Amos. Chapter 4, if you have your Bible, pull up chapter 4. Boy, Amos gets right to the point with the first verse. Listen to this message, you cows of Bashan. Who are on the hill of Samaria, women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring us something to drink. See, Bashan was a fertile ranching country. And there, uh, and, and so uh, these, these women are, are being referred to as the cows of Bashan because they're living only to gratify their appetite. And, and in so doing, they're, they're driving their husbands to provide to provide them luxury at the expense of the poor. That's what was going on. They were living it up. They had the fanciest clothes. They had a summer and winter house. They had wine and meat, and they were just, life was good, and they were, and, and their worship involved having sex with prostitutes, and, and they were just living it up, hedonism, and, and drunkenness, and revelry, and, and so Amos is referring to these women as cows of Bashan. Because sometimes people act like animals. They act like animals, they, they're only living for fulfilling their own appetites. There's no greater purpose in their life. Um, look at that. Let's see here. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter two, verse twelve says, "But these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, speak blasphemies about things they don't understand, and in their destruction they too will be destroyed." They're not thinking. They're not using their God-given mind to think about what they're doing. They just react to the situation. And God has a problem with that. Verse 2, the Lord has sworn by His holiness, Look, the days are coming when you will be taken away with hooks, every last one of you with fish hooks. You will go through the breaches in the wall, each woman straight ahead, and you'll be driven along towards Harmon. You see, since they behaved like cattle, they're going to be treated, God ordained that they would be treated like cattle. They'd be led away like animals. 
And then he finalizes with, this is the Lord's declaration. This uh, chapter 4 really calls us to be mindful of several things. The first one here is be mindful of your priorities in life. Be mindful of what's important to you. Where are you spending your money, your time? Because you are going to be held accountable for that. In fact, uh, Matthew chapter 6 Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things we provided for you. If you seek God's kingdom first in your life, everything you're going to want and enjoy is going to be added to you. But if you try to seek after those things at at the expense of God, you're going to be chasing the wind. Verse 4, come to Bethel and rebel. Rebel even more at Gilgal. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tents every three days. Offer leavened bread as a thank offering and loudly proclaim your free will offerings for that is what you Israelites love to do. Boy, you can just almost hear the sarcasm, can't you? You see, they, they lived like the devil all week. And then they went to church. And even then they disrespected God because they incorporated idol worship in their church, in their worship of God. This is the Lord's declaration. We need to be mindful of hypocrisy in our hearts and lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you. Many have fallen asleep. If we are properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. You see, it's real easy to not pay attention to yourself and what's going on in your own heart and just start going through the motions. And then you it, it's easy to fall into hypocrisy if you're not paying attention. And you can compartmentalize stuff. And, oh, what I do in my room in secret, no one knows, no one cares. And, and, and I can go off over here. No one knows me over here. No one cares. And then I can present myself as a, a Christ follower in church and everything is happy and good. But God knows. And God's going to judge us if we continue to live in hypocrisy. So we need to be mindful of that. 
Verse 6, I gave you absolutely nothing to eat. Which literally means cleanness of teeth. This, this verse here <clears throat> literally translates cleanness of teeth, but it means bringing famine upon you. I gave you absolutely nothing to eat in all your cities, a shortage of food in all your communities, yet you did not return to me. I withheld the rain from you while there were still three months until harvest. I sent the rain in one city, but no rain on another. One field received rain while filled with no rain withered. Two or three cities staggered to another city to drink water, but were not satisfied. Yet you did not return to me. I struck you with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your many gardens and vineyards, your fig trees and olive trees. Yet you did not return to me. I sent plagues like those of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I caused a stench of your camp to fill your nostrils, yet you did not return to me. I overthrew through some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a burning stick snatched from a fire, yet you did not return to me. How tragic is this? God brings across... Several bad things happening in the community. The whole purpose is trying to wake people up. So I get them to see, take off their blinders and say, oh wow, I'm not right with God. I need to return to the Lord. And he brought drought to them, or at first famine and then drought, and then the crops they had, they, God destroyed the crops. Disease and mildew and, and insects, locusts. And then plagues like those in Egypt, and I, I killed your young men. It's a war. They were, they were losing in war, in fact, so much. And, and uh, There was so much death that the stench of death was just filling the city. And then, and then even bringing, destroying by fire whole cities and saying, I, I, comparing this, the remnant that were saved like a stick being pulled out of a fire, right? It's still burning, right? That it, it's about to be destroyed by fire. You're about to be destroyed. I'm going to snatch you up at the last moment. You're suffering, yet they refused to return to God. I glean three realities from this passage. Number one, notice God says over and over again, yet you did not return to me, right? Use the word return. That infers at one point they were with God. They were in a, at one point, they were in a right relationship with God. But they had fallen away. They had left the Lord. We need to be careful about that. The second truth I, I gleaned from this is, uh, is God uses suffering to wake us up. 
And I think what's going on with the pandemic and the economy and, and the storms um, and the fires. The pandemics hit the, the coasts, the most wicked parts of the country, hit the coast hardest. And we got fires in California and Oregon. And I can't help but think that God's trying to wake us up. Our country's lost our way. Losing a complete sense of reality. truth I've gleaned from this is we can resist God. But to me, that's a scary, this is a scary reality. We can resist God. God will not force himself on us. This happened, yet they would not return. This happened, yet they would not return to me. Each time they would refuse to return to the Lord. A lot of people think, you know, oh, they resist God. And they think maybe sometime later, later on, I'll surrender to God. And there's no guarantee that that will ever happen. There's no guarantee for tomorrow, as that airman found out last weekend. His life is done. That's it. He entered eternity. Ready or not. You said, an older man, he wasn't young, but but no one thought of him having health problems, and he just died. He had a heart attack and died. Done. Life is over. Oh, don't resist God. Where someone here or maybe listening to the podcast, don't resist God, please. The best thing I have ever done, the greatest thing, the greatest achievement I have ever accomplished in my life was when I surrendered my heart to Jesus. This is the Lord's declaration. Be mindful of stubbornness. Is God putting something, his thumb on something in your life and you've been pressing back against it? Be mindful of that. Verse 12, Therefore Israel, this is 
what I will do to you. And since I will do that to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. who forms the mountains, creates the wind, and reveals his thoughts to man, and the one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. God is here. Are you ready? We're going to move into chapter 5 today. So continuing on, chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to this message that I am singing for you. A lament, house of Israel. Now, a lament was a song, a funeral song, a song of mourning. Who was dead? Israel. Israel was dead. She has fallen, virgin Israel, will never rise again. She lies abandoned on her land with no one to raise her up. For the Lord God says the city that marches out a thousand strong will only have a hundred left, and the one that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left in the house of Israel. God laments for Israel. He mourns. Over Israel. You see, the, God's judgment is always with deep sorrow. He doesn't want that anyone should perish. He wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And God does not take joy in exacting judgment. Verse 4, for the Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. You see, God's warnings are always with hope. Do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or journey to Beersheba. Seek God, but don't go to those places where you've been worshiping idols. People often seek God and truth in the wrong places. Whether it's uh, Middle Eastern or Eastern philosophy or crystals, horoscopes, the occult, feng shui, the, the list goes on. We should... Seek God in His Word. And God's Word says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's by Christ we are saved. Seek me and live.
Verse 6, seek the Lord and live, or he will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph. It will consume everything and no one at Bethel to extinguish it. In Mark chapter 9, verse 44, Jesus warns of the hellfire for those who reject God and continues in sin. And the fire won't be ever be quenched. It will never be stopped. Judgment is coming. We need to seek the Lord and live. That's what God wants us to do. Verse 7. Those who turn justice into wormwood and throw righteousness to the ground. Justice and righteousness are just... To them are dead. There's then their whole lives, their whole philosophy, the way they live, their conversation, their behavior, righteousness and justice are dead. They don't care. They manipulate people to uh, get what they want. And they'll take advantage of whoever they need to. Verse 11, therefore because you trample on the poor and exact a grain tax from him, you will never live in the houses cut of cut stone you have built. You will never drink the wine from the lush vineyards you have planted. You see, any nation that ignores God's principles of justice will not have prosperity for long. Verse 14, seek good and not evil. Why? So that you may live. And the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. <clears throat> this, this statement begs two questions. Number one, do I believe my soul in is in danger? So seek, seek good and not evil so that you may live. Well, for that to matter to you, do you have... Do I believe that my soul is actually in danger? If I don't believe I'm in danger, I won't care about trying to do one thing or another. I'm going to do what's easiest and, and most convenient for me. But let me tell you, if your heart is not right with God, if there's sin in your life that you have not repented of and forsaken, then your soul is in danger. And this leads to the second question. Do I believe that I can save my soul by doing good? Do I believe the Bible? Or do I reject it? Anybody who, who reads this and decides to not do good must either not believe the soul is in danger or not believe the Bible that in order to save yourself, you must seek God. Seek, so verse 14, Seek good and not evil so that you may live, and the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have claimed. That's interesting. <clears throat> they have claimed God was with them, 
but God wasn't with them. Why? Because they were not doing right. They were deeply in sin, deeply in idolatry, and in sexual immorality, and selling people up to slavery for their own benefit, and doing all kinds of gross, evil things. And they were saying, God is with us. Well, God wasn't with them. A lot of Christians do the same thing. They say, I'm a Christian. God is with me. But God is far from them. And some people have deluded themselves so much, saying, oh, I'm just going to do what I want to do, and, and God's going to be okay with that. But they're going to be shocked when they come to the judgment. The Bible talks, Jesus talked about that. The Lord, we did all these wonderful things in your name. And Jesus said, depart from me, I've never known you. God allows us to resist him, and he allows us to fool ourselves. If we want to believe something that's wrong in order to support something we, we know is wrong, God will let us believe that. The Bible says that God gives us over to a reprobate mind. Some scary realities. Verse 15, hate evil and love good. Establish justice of the say at the gate. And perhaps the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of jo jo Joseph. Ver uh, chapter 5 ends with, beginning with verse 18. We have a very, it ends very serious. We're talking about the day of the Lord. I'm a fan of music and <clears throat> different music genres, including classical, and I, I like uh, film scores. I like uh, certain masters like John Williams and um, and others. Uh, I I like to see how how they use music to create emotion and and uh, influence um, in a film. There's a podcast that's on about film scores, and I listened to it. And uh, while a couple years ago, he uh, was talking about a, a film score principle called DSRA. Most many many other films and movies that are out there, and TV, television shows that are out there, uh, when something bad is about to happen, or the, the villains have arrived or there, uh, something bad is going on, um, you'll hear, da-na-na-na, or some variation of that. Da-na-na-na. And it's a very old um, uh, musical, I don't know what you would call it, composition. Um, it's called DSRA. And I heard that and I, one night I was sitting in the living room and and Cody walks in and I say, DSRA. And Cody's like, why are you singing about the wrath of God? <laughs> what I thought was a word that was 
describing the notes themselves was actually a Latin phrase. And Cody, being skilled in Latin, knew that it meant the wrath of God. It's interesting. I think it's interesting that this reality of the day of the Lord is so ingrained in our culture that the tones made from the Latin word have become this symbol of impending doom to the point that movie makers and television makers use it in their production. I find that fascinating. At the same time, our society has been doing everything they can to forget, to ignore the reality that a day is coming called the Day of the Lord. It's a judgment day. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to have a bear confront him. That's a bad day, isn't it? You think you're running away from a lion. You think you just might make it. And then a bear steps out in front of you. He goes home and rests his hand against the wall. Only have a snake bite him. That's a bad day. And so Amos is trying his best to describe the day of the Lord. Verse 20. Won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light, even gloom without any brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fatted cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water and righteous like an unfailing stream. You see, if our hearts aren't right with God, He is not pleased at all by anything that we do. Any prayer, anytime you give to the church, anytime you do anything uh, for God, in air quotes, whether it's organizing a food pantry or um, uh, leading singing or even preaching here, your heart's not with God, with God, God consider he, he's, he's disgusted by it. So we should be mindful of that. God help us to open our eyes. I don't want to walk through life blindly. I don't know about you. I want to know what's going on, what I'm about to step into. Some people don't. Some people don't care. I was in Korea. Um, there were these, these bars uh, outside of the base with a lot of women in them of ill repute. And I knew that was no place for a married guy. 
and and I one of my coworkers he asked me if I was going to go downtown to uh, one of the places, and I my response was, if it looks like a bear trap, why would I put my foot in it? What I meant by that is, if it looks like something that's going to be a great harm to me, why would I put? Why would I risk it? And like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get that. And then later on, about a week or so later, he said, "Hey Underwood, I stepped in a bear trap." Ha 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 ha. His marriage didn't last a deployment. I don't know if that's probably not surprising. May God help us to wake up. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Also, we have a website, servantsheartchapel.org. We also have a Facebook page, so you're welcome to check us out. Love to hear from you, prayer requests, anything you may need. We are here for you. Have a wonderful and blessed day.